Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your great grace. Lord, today as we hear a story of the redemption of your grace, of the power of your grace, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to receive. If there's one that doesn't know you, today would be the day that they would experience the real and living Savior. God, for those who today is a struggle and it's difficult, I pray, Lord, for grace and power that they may sense you, that they may embrace you, that they may know that you are God. So, Lord, we thank you in advance for what you are working to accomplish and what you will do as we open our heart to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today is a very special treat as we have Gracia Burnham. Many of you probably remember her and her husband uh, several years back. Uh, were, uh, were taken hostage uh, by Islamic terrorists in the Philippines. And uh, many of you know I served in the Philippines uh, after I got out of school. And so, uh, this, as a matter of fact, they lived on the same island that uh, I had lived on. So this is a very special story to my heart. And I really believe God is going to speak through Gracia today. Well, good morning. It's an honor to be here. Last night, I lay down in a nice bed, and I whispered, thank you, God, thank you, thank you. You know, that's exactly what I used to say when I would lay down on the jungle floor at night during our captivity. Thank you, God, thank you. Some of the details have changed. Last night, I lay down in a beautiful bed surrounded by all the comforts of home with kind people down the hall. While in the jungle, we were surrounded by enemies, and we lay down on empty rice sacks that the Abu Sayyaf, that we begged from the Abu Sayyaf. Um, These are rice sacks, you guys. These were our beds. Now, these rice sacks are nice and new. This one even has a cheery picture on it. The rice sacks we slept on were dirty and awful and stinky, but I was so glad to have something between us and the creepy crawlies that I thought must be on the jungle floor. Well, I knew they were. One morning, I sat up to stretch, and I watched a snake crawl out from under the rice sack I was on. I kept him warm during the night. But although my circumstances have changed, the cry of my heart at night is the very same. Thank you, God, for taking care of me today. Thank you that I have a place to be tonight. Thank you that I've made it one more day. So I'm really happy to be here this morning. One reason is I get to thank so many of you who prayed for us. You prayed for these nobodies that you suddenly became aware of who were in the wrong place at the wrong time, facing some pretty big hardships. And what would we have done without your prayers? It was a radio broadcast we did one day on a cell phone that allowed us to tell the outside world that my feet were really in bad shape. We were taken hostage with basically nothing, the clothes on our backs. And a few days into our captivity, they gave me a pair of old holy rubber boots that they found in an abandoned farmhouse that we passed. And I was so grateful for those, but I didn't have any socks. And as we would walk through rivers and streams, sand would get in my boots because they had holes in them and they would rub my feet raw. There were days they were bloody and oozing. One night, we'd walked much of the night. We heard the military was near, and we just needed to move to a whole new area. And we laid down in a field of long grass to get some rest. And 
as I pulled off my boots, I could see how frightful my feet looked. And I knew to even let them touch the grass was going to hurt. So I sort of piled my boots on the grass and put my feet on top of the boots to keep them off the grass. And it seems like only minutes later they were jabbing us to get up, move. I looked at the guy with the gun, my feet. I can't go on. You can't stay here, he said. So I pulled my boots back on and hobbled down the trail with everyone else. That day they let Martin make a statement on the radio. They gave him a list of grievances that they wanted aired. And he made the complaints. But he was able also to let people know about my feet. And you began to pray and they began to heal. I learned to wrap them in whatever I could find Big leaves I found or old plastic bags that were aside the trail. Anything I could find, I wrapped my feet in before I slid them into my boots and they started to heal. And I want to thank you for your prayers. Thank you for loving this couple that you'd never even met before. It seemed like our trial lasted forever. And that's how a trial is, isn't it? (laughs) And there were days we felt like everyone had forgotten us. And there were days I felt forsaken. And I have to wonder if some of you this morning might be walking down a trail you would rather not be walking down. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place we would never have chosen to be. We didn't have a copy of the scriptures in the jungle, but I had some of God's word hidden in my heart. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. That's true for us, whether we're dodging bullets in a gun battle or facing something just as serious here at home, right? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you go through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep you over. The promises of God. Aren't you glad you have those to hang on to no matter what you're facing? Right about Easter time, almost a year into our captivity, someone paid a ransom for us. And you can imagine our excitement when some of the money came into camp. This was it. It's what we'd all been waiting for. We could all go home. And the leaders of the Abu Sayyaf sat down on the ground and had this big meeting. And they called me and Martin over. And we sat down too. And they said, someone's paid a ransom for you, but we've decided it's not enough. And we're going to ask for more. And I begged them not to do that. I said, this is not going to turn out well. We are sick of this. You're sick of this. Just take the money and let's go home. But they were greedy and they asked for more money. And you can imagine how defeated we felt that night as we lay down on our rice sacks to get some rest. And just as I was drifting off to sleep, Martin kind of elbowed me. And he said, Gracia, I'm so glad that when Jesus paid a ransom for us, It was enough. Jesus' death, his payment for us was sufficient. It satisfied God. There's nothing charged against us anymore. There doesn't need to be any more sacrifice for sin because Jesus paid it all. It's finished, done, kaput. Martin didn't say kaput. That's a theological term that I made up. And uh, I want to thank the worship band for the song. Anytime there's a song that talks about ransom, my ears just perk up. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Isn't that great? We're free from our sin problem. Um, 
Well, what I hope today is what I share about my story will encourage you to keep on, to carry your cross as well when it's not comfortable or easy. People sometimes ask, what was the hardest thing about being a hostage? The hardest thing for me was I saw what I was really like. In one swift moment in time, everything I had, except Martin, was taken away from me. And when everything's gone and you're in an uncomfortable position, you see what's really in your heart. I was born into a loving Christian family. I became a believer in Jesus at an early age. I married this terrific guy who had an incredible gift of piloting airplanes. And we decided we wanted to make a difference in the world. So we packed up and we left the American dream and we went to the Philippines where Martin flew food and medicine and cargo and people into some of the most primitive places in the world. And I was a pretty good person. Thought I was anyway, but in the jungle. I came face to face with a gracia I didn't want to see. I saw a me that I didn't even want to believe existed. I saw a hateful gracia. There were days I hated those guys for what they were doing to us, for the pain they were causing our family. I saw a covetous gracia when we were starving and I saw someone with food and they ate it and they didn't share it with us. I coveted what they had. I was filled with envy at them. I saw a despairing gracia. Nobody cares about us anymore. This has gone on for so long, everyone's forgotten us. I saw a faithless gracia. Here's a journal entry that um, I scribbled one day on some borrowed paper using a pen that barely worked. And this is not pretty. This was a very hard day for me. Why does God keep me here to suffer day after day? I got almost hysterical in the afternoon. Martin tells me not to give up. I've tried to be a good hostage and be patient, and where has it gotten me? Eight and a half months and still here. God is pleased to have me suffer, and I'm tired of it. Hebrews 4.12 says, God's word is a discerner that looks at our hearts and exposes us for what we really are. Nothing in all creation can hide from him. Everything's open and exposed before his eyes. And we might look together on the outside. And we might have a whole lot of props that keep life going well for us. Here in America, we've got lots of props, don't we? We've got beautiful homes and lovely families and careers and money. But God sees what we really are. But God's good. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust and he loves us and he's on our side when we're weak and we're needy and God didn't wait for me to get my act together there in the jungle. Even as I complained at him for keeping us there for so long, he started to work in my heart. I asked Martin one day, where is the love, the joy, the peace, the contentment? You know, all those things that are supposed to characterize believers in Jesus. Where are those things? Because I'm looking at myself and I'm seeing the bad and the worst, not the good. And Martin said, love, joy, peace. Those aren't things you can make happen in your heart. Those are gifts from the Holy Spirit of God. Let's ask for them. Well, I had tried and failed to find those things in myself for months. And we started to pray and ask God to work good things in us. And it seems like we were either running for our lives from the military who were trying to rescue us. 
for days and nights on end, totally exhausted, or we were in what we thought was a safe place, and we were hiding out, and we were laying low, and we were totally bored. And every once in a while, during those days and weeks of boredom, a magazine or something to read would make its way into camp, and we especially liked Reader's Digest. We would read them aloud to each other. We read them till they fell apart. We liked the jokes, of course, and one day Martin read this one to me. It's called Writer's Block. Having encouraged her class of 11-year-olds to use descriptive language in the story she had just asked them to write, my wife was disappointed when one boy used the adjective big to describe a castle. She asked the boy to be a bit more creative and told him to rewrite the sentence. Minutes later, he was back at her desk. This time, the sentence read, I went into the castle, which was big, and when I say big, I mean big. (laughs) Yeah, well, we laughed too. Um, A day or so later, Martin said, Gracia, I've been thinking about that joke and about something Jesus said. He said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, be the servant of all. And I think when he said all, he meant all. He didn't mean all, but the bad guys holding you hostage. And I watched Martin start to serve those guys. There was this one kid, 57, that probably wasn't really his name, but that's what we called him, 57. His job was to carry the M57 through the jungle. And M57 is heavy weaponry. It's a four or five foot long metal tube. And during a gun battle, it had this tripod thing that they would set it on. And they would put the mortar in the front and shoot it you know, in our case, at the military. Well, 57 was always in a bad mood. I told Martin, I called him 57 because for 57 days in a row, he'd been in a bad mood. One day, we were in a gun battle. We had some casualties and so did the military. The Abu Sayyaf killed a medic, a point man, and a radio man, which meant we gained a medical bag, a weapon, and a radio. Well, the next day when nobody was looking, Martin and I kind of went through that medical bag, and we sort of lifted some things that we thought we were going to need in the future, some pain reliever, some antibiotics, some anti-diarrhea medicine. And we hid that away amongst our stuff. Well, we learned that 57 suffered from headaches. That's why he was always in a sour mood. And every time we would see him start to rub his temples, Martin would take him some of our stash of pain reliever. You know, that kid's attitude towards us changed totally. Not long after that, they sent 57 out on a striking force. A striking force was 10 or 15 guys who they would send to another area of the island we were on to wreak some havoc in order to keep the attention away from our group. And we never knew if we would see those guys alive again. Things didn't always go well for them. When 57 came back to camp, he was all smiles when he saw Martin. He gave him that two-cheeked Muslim greeting. As we prayed... God began giving us the victories within ourselves that we were desperately asking him for. He used everyday occurrences to show us their their lostness, their neediness. One was a conversation I had with Nadim one day. Nadim was a young kid, 16, 18 years old, and he spoke enough English so we could communicate a little bit with him. 
And one of the requirements of a Muslim is they're supposed to read their Quran every day. But when the Abu Sayyaf would read their Quran, they didn't read it silently to themselves like we would read a book. They read it aloud, only they didn't just read it. They had this beautiful, haunting chant that they did. And one would start in reading and they would all think, oh, I haven't done my Quran reading today. And they would all start in different books, different chapters, different tunes. I called it choir practice. I kind of figured if the military really wanted to find us and rescue us, they just needed to open their ears during Quran reading. One day after Nadim was finished reading, I asked him, hey, what did you just read? And his eyes lit up. He said, oh, I just read my favorite psalm. I said, really? What does it say? He said, I don't know. It's in Arabic and I don't speak Arabic. I was shocked. I said, Nadim, you're reading words you don't understand. The reason it was his favorite psalm is he had read it so many times he didn't have to think about it anymore when he read it. I said, you know what you need to do. You need to get a Quran that's been translated into your dialect, and then you'll know what you're reading. And he said, oh, oh, no, ma'am. Then it would be corrupted. And I realized that Nadim is basing his whole life and eternity on a book he's never read and is not likely to read. How's Nadim going to hear the gospel without a preacher? We need some preachers. Some people willing to go to the hard places. Oh, duh. Maybe that's why we were in that hard place. Do we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest as long as it doesn't inconvenience me or mess up my comfortable life? Here's a quote that I found on Facebook of all places by a famous missionary, C.T. Studd who could have had a comfortable life playing world-class cricket in England, but instead chose hard places. He said, Some people like to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to build a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Working within a yard of hell is not going to be a pleasant place. There will be lots of opposition there, but... We need some people willing to go to the hard places, and hard places is what's left in the world. Maybe a people group would be classified as hard to reach because they're isolated. They say there are some 2,000 language groups in our world who've never had anyone from the outside come into their world and tell them anything. They don't know the basics of clean drinking water, much less the gospel of Jesus. Maybe they're hard to reach because of their ideology. They aren't going to be open to what you have to say, and it might not be a very safe place for you to live. But we need some people willing to go to the hard places. We turn on the TV every day, and we see the problem with Muslims, the unrest, and we wonder, where is this all going to end? God does have a plan to fix this problem. You know what it is, right? We are it. You and I are it. There's no other plan. God gave the job of caring for and winning this world to us. And you look at the people that you're seated next to this morning and you say, well, that's a bad plan. (laughs) Bunch of folks in Texas. We can't be the plan, but we are. And as we're willing, God will use us to accomplish his plan.
there in the jungle, God started changing us, and we started seeing the Abu Sayyaf as the needy kids that they are. My hatred was replaced with concern and love for them, contentment, and even joy began to grow in my heart as I learned to thank God for the good things I saw him doing for us every day instead of dwelling on the bad. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, we'll receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. And your need today isn't because you're being held hostage in the jungle, but your need is real. (laughs) Your need is great. Your first need is to have a savior. That's what everyone in this world needs is a savior from their sin. And Jesus died, so you have one. The other needs, they're as many as the people in this room. Come boldly to God with your need, with what's on your heart today. He's promised to help us when we need it. Well, I want to tell you about my kids this morning, give you a little update, and then I have one more story. Um, My children weren't with us when we were taken hostage. We had gone to another island to work, and we left them with coworkers, with neighbors, and told them, we'll be home in one week. Uh, When we got home, when we got taken hostage, the State Department and our mission board sent them back to live with their grandparents in Kansas. And they're grown now. Uh, That's my oldest boy, Jeff. Jeff married a New Tribes Mission MK, a missionary kid, and he chose wisely. Sarah's a good girl. And those are two of my grandchildren. And they just finished up a term in Botswana, Africa, where Jeff was a missionary pilot like his dad. Um, The the little one there was born in Africa. Um, They're going to stay home. They've made that decision. My oldest grandson has autism, and they're going to stay home and get him sorted out. So Jeff's flying for Express Jet at the moment. Um, My daughter, Mindy, um, I don't think she wanted to be outdone by her brother. She also married a New Tribes Mission MK from Paraguay, South America. And Andy is a good guy. And that's Felix, you guys. And he's as cute as he looks. That's a little bit of an old picture. Um, Felix is two years old now. And my daughter Mindy had a baby a little over an hour ago. Yeah, an hour and a half ago. Yay. Um, The doctor never made it there. She got to the hospital and there it was. So they have a little girl, Daphne now, and Andy is the youth pastor at our church. Um, My son, Zachary, is at Calvary Bible College in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, Calvary is where Martin and I attended, and we fell in love there and got married in the beautiful church there. Zach's getting a degree in Bible. Everyone gets a degree in Bible at Calvary and uh, a second degree in voice performance. And God's been really good to those kids. And they really miss their dad on Father's Day. Father's Day isn't a real cheery day for them, but Martin taught them some important things. One was a prayer that he taught the boys when they were young, and I thought maybe it was appropriate because this was Father's Day, right? Um, Martin really loved the Red Green Show. Have you ever seen the Red Green Show? 
That's a Canadian show, and I don't know if it reaches Texas. We're a long way from Canada here. And the guys on the Red Green Show have a motto there at the Possum Lodge where they meet. It's Quando Omni Flunkus Mortati, which being interpreted is, When All Else Fails, Play Dead. Yeah. And they start off the lodge meeting with the man's prayer, and I thought I would... You know, he taught this to the children early on. And if you know this prayer, you can join in. I'm a man, but I can change if I have to, I guess. No one knows that prayer. Uh, Yeah, okay. You're looking at me like I'm stupid. And that wasn't very uh, uplifting, was it? But I thought it was appropriate for Father's Day, maybe. Um, Anyway. The story, this story kind of tells the end of the story. There's always an end of the story in God's economy. Um, We used to mobile at night a lot in the jungle. I think we often moved at night because we didn't know where the military was and we just needed to get to a whole new municipality. And hiking in the dark was not easy. Not so hard maybe on moonlit nights, but very difficult when there was no moon. And I would just pick my feet up really high because I didn't know what the next step was. Was it uphill? Was it downhill? Was there a hole I didn't want to step in or a log I had to step over? I've always had a problem with night vision anyway. And when we were first taken hostage, they saw me falling all the time. And they realized the difficulty I was having. And they assigned Herira to take care of me. Herira would find leaves that glowed in the dark. I don't know how they... I, I don't know where he found them or what they were. Was there some luminescent or fluorescent mold growing on the leaves but he would find them and he would put them under the strap of his backpack so I could follow him down the trail even though it was dark and this is going to sound weird but Martin really loved Herira somehow those two just got along and he asked Mr. Martin to start teaching him English and every day that we weren't on the move he would come for a session and he Always brought his little notebook and a gift, a cookie or a cup of coffee or a bit of food as payment. Um, He was full of questions about everything, including life in America. Herira was a warrior. He was fearless. He would run straight into a gun battle, yelling at the top of his lungs. I asked Martin one day, what if someday in the far off future, Herira shows up on our porch in Rose Hill, Kansas? What are you going to do? He said, I would give him a big hug. I would fix him the biggest chicken dinner he's ever seen. And while he's eating it, I would call the FBI. <laughs> yeah, good answer. Soon after 9 11, Herira went out with some of the leaders, I guess, to the city, and we never saw him again, and we wondered what happened to Herira, and we prayed for him. Days and nights of hiking meant exhaustion, not just physically, but after a while, mentally, morale-wise, so weary, many times with a lot of tension in the air because we didn't know where the military was. One night, we had walked in the rain most of the day, so we were wet and soggy and cold, and I was fatigued. This captivity just kept going on and on with no end in sight, and I suddenly fell. 
this hard, bone-jarring, tooth-rattling fall, and I could not get up. And the line behind me started, you know, running into each other, and people started muttering, and they started going around when they saw someone had stopped. They couldn't see well either. It was dark, and as I was on the ground on my hands and knees without strength to get up, I began crying out to God, God, how long? How long? How long have I not carried this burden long enough? And there was no answer. And then Martin died. What was that all about? The strong one died and the weak one came home to tell the story and have the ministry. One February, it's been several years ago now, I flew into Atlanta from Wichita Um, And some friends met me at the airport, and they were going to deliver me to my next speaking event. And we were at Panera having a cup of coffee when my cell phone rang. Well, you know how you hate to be rude, but your cell phone's ringing. What do you do? So I excused myself, and I took the call. It was the Office of Victims of Crime in Washington, D.C. They wanted me to be aware that there'd been an arrest made the day before of yet another of the guys involved in our hostage-taking. Someone Arad, she told me his name. Well, that didn't mean anything to me because I didn't know their real names. I only knew their Abu names. And I said, do you know his alias? And I heard paper shuffling. She said, yeah, it's right here. Harira. Praise the Lord. Now I know where Harira is. He's in the custody of the Philippine military. He'll go to trial and be charged with kidnapping and murder. I am so glad that Harira is not dead. Because his day of grace is not over. And maybe in jail... He'll hear the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit will open his eyes to the truth. And you say, oh, sure, Gracia, like that's going to happen. Ah, that is happening. I have been able to reconnect with some of the very men who held us captive. They're in a maximum security prison in Manila for the rest of their lives. 23 or so of them. Guys like Zacharias, who on May 27 burst into our room at Dos Palmas with his M16. He was so surprised to find out that our youngest son and him had the same name, Zachary, that we would name one of our children after one of their Muslim prophets. And we just let him think that. In prison also is Daoud, the guy that used to sit and talk with Martin when we would rest during our long days of hiking Daoud's wife and child had died in childbirth. And since the economy is horrible in the southern Philippines, he found himself with no family, no means of support, and he joined the Abu Sayyaf almost as a career move. Uh, It was Daoud's job to carry the solar panels through the jungle. They would help charge the sat phones and the cell phones so the guys could communicate with the government negotiators on the outside Martin and Daoud would discuss all sorts of things from jihad to being shaheed, being martyred. They discussed discussed Daoud's hopes and dreams. In jail also is Bashir. He was shot in the same gun battle that Martin died in, the one that led to my rescue. Bashir was unable to keep up with the group as they retreated down the river and they left him behind in the jungle to fend for himself with 500 pesos. $10. 
You can't buy anything in the jungle. You can't take care of yourself. And several days later, the military found him and gangrene had moved into his leg and it had to be amputated. I get letters from Bashir quite often. Can I read the first one that I ever got from him? We had to get it translated. It was written in his dialect. It says, I am Bas. I, Bas, wrote you to ask you how you are. How about you there, Gracia? I'm here now at maximum security, and my foot was cut off. Do you still remember the experiences we had? Like, no. (laughs) Sounds like summer camp, doesn't it? I still remember every time I cook food, I cook eel good. He did cook eel good. At one point, we were starving, and we came across this mountain stream that had eel in it, and the guys crafted fish traps from stuff they harvested in the jungle, and they caught the eel, and that's what we ate for several days, and Bas was the cook. Everything you said, I'll never forget. Even though I'm here in jail, I has no fault. Yeah, right. He's the kid that one day chopped a guy's head off, came up the hill with blood spattered all over his yellow t-shirt. How can he say he has no fault? I also told you, when I'm free, I will go with you to America. But my dreams did not go through. My dream was to become a businessman, but it did not materialize because I'm in jail. It's difficult to be in jail. It's very hot here, and it's pitiful here, and no one visits me here. I want to see you if you have a picture to send me. Take care always. And he signs it, your friend. God has raised up an American missionary couple in the Philippines who have a heart for prison ministry. And I wish I had an hour to tell you the stories. Um, But the good news is, so far... Four former Abu Sayyaf have come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. One of them. (laughs) One of them is a very violent man with over 20 counts of murder against him. A new person in Christ, a brother in the Lord. And now he's concerned about his children. And we've been able to go find his two kids who were pretty much abandoned because his Their mother remarried a Muslim man, and we transferred them from that southern island to live with an auntie who really wanted the kids up north, and we're paying their expenses and sending them to school, and God's going to bring those kids. You know, he got them out of that place where you're just sucked into terrorism and hatred. Um, Had I known... When we were going through our hard year in the jungle that one day even one of those guys would come to know Jesus because of our experience, I think the days would have been easier to bear. And I could kick myself now and say, would it not have been enough to trust a good God with the days of my life? Can we begin to believe that God takes us into hard situations, not to crush us, but so we can learn to see his hand and learn to trust him when he's doing a good work and God's work is good. It's always good, whether we understand it or not, whether we necessarily like it or not. And I've been encouraged that there cannot be a harvest without seed planters. And maybe planting seeds isn't always fun. Maybe it's downright uncomfortable for you and you don't see any fruit for your labors. You might wonder why you were called to plant seeds because you're not even good at it. 
but all of a sudden you see what God's doing. And I've been reminded that the seed we planted in the jungle wasn't wasted. Others are harvesting what we sowed over 12 years ago. God's almighty. He can do anything. So keep planting those seeds, my friends. Keep on. When you don't see any fruit, when you feel like giving up, when you feel inadequate, just keep on because it's God that's going to do the work on down the road. God can do anything and he can use anything. I really believe that. And maybe the length of our captivity, oh God, how long? And Martin's death is what it took to work in some Abu Sayyaf hearts. Who knows why God chooses one person to do one thing and chooses someone else to do something else? Who knows why some of us grew up hearing the gospel of Jesus over and over and over, and some in the world will never hear it even once? Who knows why some of us live in abundance while our brothers and our sisters in Christ starve? Or face extreme persecution in another land? I don't know the answers to those questions. What I do know, though, is our day of grace is not over either. We have today, and we can do whatever we want to with today. And today, we're called to take up our cross. The one assigned to us. We're not to walk along murmuring at the cross that's been appointed to us. We're not to faint under it and decide it's too heavy and put it down and walk away from it. We boldly face it. We patiently endure it because we only have to carry it a little way and then our turn's over. And along the way, as those who don't know God see us carrying our crosses, We get to share with them the honor of knowing a living Christ. You can't be a disciple without cross-bearing. Whether you're in the heat of the battle or someone who encourages those who are, we must consecrate our all to Jesus and take up our cross. And it doesn't matter that far better men and women than us have carried their crosses. We just need to be faithful with ours. And the promise of God is that grace will be given equal to the weight of the cross. God is not going to give you something that you simply cannot bear. And after our little while that we get to carry our crosses over, a crown is waiting at the finish line. No cross, no crown. Let's finish our courses well. Let's carry our crosses well. And God bless you as you do that. Thank you for having me. If you would be seated for just a moment. Uh, let's I'm going to invite you to just pray as I guide you through some things to consider. And uh, as you think about the message that's been shared... Maybe some of you here today, this just doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even compute because you've never come to that place to where you've trusted Christ, where you've committed your life to Christ. And uh, I just want to briefly share how you can do that. The Bible tells that we are all sinners, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, It's first importance that we understand that we are sinners 
that we aren't as good as we think we are. And the truth of it is, there is a holy God, and that holy God is perfect, and he cannot dwell in the presence of sin. And so sins must be dealt with. But he is a God that loved us so much that the Bible says while we were still sinners, he died for us. So we have to come to the place where we recognize that he's God. He has the power to save and that he has made a way to forgive our sins. And that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the son of God who came and lived the perfect life, lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. Because the Bible says uh, that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So he shed his blood for us. So if we would believe that he lived, died, was placed in a tomb, but on the third day rose again, conquering sin and death, that if our trust and faith is placed in Jesus Christ, he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us and make us acceptable for a holy God. Do you believe that? If you do, then this morning I invite you to say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you are a holy God, but I believe that you can save me and that you've covered my sin. You've covered the price of my sin. So come into my life and be my Savior. Father, thank you so much for this, this time. Thank you for Gracia. Thank you for this tremendous testimony. Thank you for a story of how you can redeem even the most difficult circumstances of life for your glory. And that one day we shall all be with you. All who know you as Savior shall be before your throne. And we will say, oh God, thank you for the opportunities. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for redeeming my pain, redeeming my experiences. Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you today, I pray that you would draw them this day. And today would be the day they say yes to the Savior. In your name we pray, dear Jesus.